You know, we start learning to be afraid from our earliest years. I think back when I was young, I, I loved baseball. I loved Little League baseball. I remember back in those days, I was actually pretty good at it. <clears throat> but there was one aspect of baseball back in those years that I just dreaded every time it came to pass. And you might be able to guess, it was when I would come up to the plate to bat. I'd been hit by a pitch because back in those days, we weren't pansies like now. <laughs> now you have coach pitch, machine pitch, you have all this other pitch. Back then, I mean, we, we picked the kid who had the fastest arm but was as wild as could be. And we said, we want you to be the pitcher. Because we all envisioned him being somebody like Bob Feller or Bob Gibson. And some of you are saying, who's Bob Feller? Google it. Google it. Google it. But uh, this was the way it was. And one of these kids just relentlessly beamed me as I was a kid. And I just I learned to be afraid at, at, at bat every time. And it was something I had to conquer as I got older. But it was, the fear began to... I, I can remember when I was about 11 or just 11, 12 years of age, maybe slightly younger than that. I had a cousin who was a little older who had uh, leukemia, and he died. And I remember setting in. Uh, I, I didn't understand all of that very well, but I thought, this is not good. I don't like this. And I just was scared uh, of things like leukemia and cancer and those kind of things. And I was 13 years old after school one day. I looked out the sliding patio door of our home, and I saw a giant black funnel cloud. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm looking out there at window, and I'm seeing this giant black funnel cloud, and it was silhouetted against a gray sky, a light gray sky, and it was just breathtaking. It took your breath away. Uh, part of it was the vacuum that it creates, just sucking it out of you, almost how it felt, because it was so close. It was within a mile or two of my house, and I look out, and I didn't even know it was there. I mean, it, we didn't have the alert systems back then. So I'm looking out the door, looking out and just thinking, oh, my goodness. And I could see chain link fence swirling. I could see chunks of roof and fencing swirling in the, in, the, uh, in the air. And I remember, you know, being the rocket scientist that I am, I thought, that's not good. That's <laughs> bad. That's bad. And, and feeling kind of a moment of fear. It was both it was awesome and fearsome all at the same time. I, that's, that's what I felt in those moments. Uh, I could go on with these kinds of experiences that occurred in my life, and I know many that have occurred in yours over the course of life. But back at that, during that time, what essentially happens is we become very comfortable with fear in, in the sense that we're familiar with it, we're used to it, and, and we become afraid of many things. In fact, one point in time during those years, I remember thinking, basically, I'm just a chicken. I would read the Bible stories, and I would just go, man... Some of the men and women that are described in Scripture were just giants of courage. And I thought, that is so not me. I'm afraid of everything. Have you ever felt that way? The good news of the history of God's people is that it is not a record of God searching for courageous, fearless men and women who could handle God-sized tasks. I mean, that, that was not what the Bible really is about. The Bible, the history of God's people, is a lengthy account of fear-filled people who were called and transformed by God to live courageous lives. They rose above their fears. Because courage is not the absence of fear. It's heading in the right direction regardless of fear is really what it is. 
want you to think of Jesus' disciples. Just think of the, the before and after scene of them. I mean, Peter, what's he do out of fear at Caiaphas' house as Jesus is being tried? He, he denies Jesus three times. He's motivated by fear. This is going to be bad for me if I don't lie about my relationship with him. Think of all the other disciples. When, when the guards come to the garden and they arrest Jesus, what happens to all of them? It's like, it's, it's like cockroaches when you turn a light on in a house that's infested. They just scatter just instantly. What was that about? Fear. Uh, we could go on with this, but even after the resurrection, I mean, Jesus has now come back from the dead. He's living, breathing, the disciples say. They're still hiding behind closed doors. Jesus has to appear behind closed doors to find him, to get to him. Those are just some of the leading characters of Scripture. But they were transformed by the power and presence of God into men and women of courage. Such courage, in fact, that the early church advanced with amazing boldness, amazing speed. And so this morning, for the next few minutes, we're going to talk a, a, a little bit about the source of their passion and courage because if we had time to analyze each of our situation, every one of us needs courage. There's not one of us who couldn't benefit from more courage. And where does it come from? Does it come from just psyching yourself up and stealing your nerves and numbing out? And you know, do you, do you anesthetize yourself into courage by drinking enough? Or, or Where does it really come from if you're going to find courage God's way? And uh, that's what I want to lay out for you from Scripture this morning. We're going to look from the Bible this morning at two of the primary sources of courage that empowered the early church. And my hope is that we'll, uh, we'll learn from them and follow them. The first source of courage that the Bible reveals is a, a foundational belief that was characteristic of the people of the early church, a foundational belief. The foundational belief is revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, just invite you to go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have your own, grab one on the shelf in front of you. Uh, we'll look at some other passages, but just kind of this is a good one to look at and remember. And if you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen uh, beside me. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 describes the way the early church viewed uh, much of life. This is what the scriptures say. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, Paul just doesn't want us to be confused about his metaphor, that he, the picture that he's using. He said, when we, when we die and leave this earthly body, we, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Let me just pause and say, you will not be a ghost floating around somewhere in heaven. It will not be like that. That's what the Scripture is trying to convey to us. Verse 5, God Himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. It's just to say, just to say, Part of the evidence that God's going to fulfill this promise is the presence of God's Spirit in your life. The promptings that He brings into your life, the peace that He brings into your life, those moments when He leads you and comforts you and strengthens you, that's even part of the evidence that God's going to fulfill on this promise. 
And verse 9 continues by saying, so whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him, to please God. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. The foundational belief of the early church was this. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. I mean, Jesus proved that, did He not, by His resurrection. He was the first of the Scriptures to say many witnesses to give evidence to the fact that death is not the end of you, me, our loved ones, our children, whoever. It's not the end. Death is not the end. Paul believed that. We could look at other passages besides 2 Corinthians where he speaks here. First, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Apostle Paul says this, and it's fascinating to me. He says, to, to live is Christ, but to die is, some of you know the verse? Gain. To die is gain. How could he say that? Because death is not the end. It's not, the, it's not the end. Here's the challenge. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Could it be that sometimes we're weak in courage because we just don't get that? As a culture, we're obsessed with safety, fitness, and in health. Uh, you know, and safety, fitness, and health are not bad things. But we're obsessed with them. So, an author by the name of Richard Dahlstrom, Christian author, he writes in one of his books of how our generation lives with what he calls, I want to share a little bit of this, what he calls a safety-first mentality. He describes our culture so well. I just want you to hear this. According to Dahlstrom, he writes, the key to living well is living safely. This is how we think. So, our culture tells us to lock our doors at night, get an alarm system, save, and make sure your investments are insured. We need to take our vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, ginkgo bilboa, and St. John's wort. need to eat lots of soluble fibers. We need exercise, get eight hours of sleep, go to church regularly, being certain to drive carefully. And when you do drive, it's best if your car is the biggest because then you're the safest. Our culture says don't go on mission trips to places where you might contract staph infection, malaria, intestinal parasites, or face a terrorist plot. Risky hobbies? Forget them. Read books. Eat organic. Get a colonoscopy. (laughs) On he goes. Follow that guarantee that you're safe. We all know the answer to that. Of course not. Doesn't guarantee you're safe. Or well, if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time in Chicago or the Middle East or in Kansas City. Not really safe if you happen to be diagnosed with cancer or something unexpectedly goes wrong with your body. Most of us who are Christians, we believe that heaven's an indescribably wonderful place that we want to go to sometime way down the road. It's wonderful, but I will spare no expense to make sure that I don't go there for a long, long time. What does that betray of our hearts? On some level, doesn't it betray the fact that we, we kind of think that this is 
as good or better? Think of the bucket lists we have in our culture. I got to do this and do that and do this and do that before I die because when I die, it all ends. Is that true? Is that what you really believe? That was not the way the early church lived or breathed or believed. And they understood that death is not the end and lived according to that. I I love this quote. Um, Honestly, I can't remember where it came from. If it came from me, I don't think so but because it's good. Uh, So it came from somewhere, I suspect, but I couldn't tell you where. But listen to this quote and just tell me if it's not true. It's worth pondering, worth writing down. The path of courage is one only a dead man can walk. Did you get that? The path of courage is one only a dead man can walk. If you and I have to survive... There may be things that God asks us to do that we will lack the courage and will to do. Sometimes that may be the right thing to do, we'll neglect. (coughs) Marvel at some of the men who were the heroes of 9-11 rushing into a tower, a burning tower. Courage. They had already decided in their mind they did not have to survive. Other people did. The early church thrived because these believers had already decided, I don't have to survive. God's word and will has to advance. And with that kind of clarity of mind, it freed the early church to live with one bold aim. In that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you look at verse 9 again, here was the aim of the early church. Whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him, is to please God. Do you believe that yet? Have you embraced that as your life mission, your life goal? You believe that death is temporary, that it's not the end, so that courage can grow in your heart. How do we grow more in this area? Just real quick, a few thoughts. that uh, Maybe some of us, we struggle in this area, and we don't grow more because we just never think of heaven. All we think about is stuff on earth, stuff that will pass away, and in 50 years for most of us in this room will uh, be irrelevant to us. So maybe you just need to think about heaven more. Maybe you need to read Scripture, what it has to say. Maybe you need to read the book of Acts and see the lives of these early church believers and the faith that they demonstrated, the courage that they modeled, and just pray as you read, Oh God, help me to have that kind of courage. Help me to live that selflessly. Maybe some of us need to follow a ministry like Voice of the Martyrs. I I don't know if you've ever been out to their website, ever seen one of their magazines or not. These are believers in the Middle East and other parts of the world, North Korea, etc., where it is not safe to be a follower of Jesus. And you read stories of pastors and, and, and Christians in those environments, and you cannot help but be inspired in your faith. Oh, yes, you read that and you go, I am a spiritual pygmy. That happens. But get over it because we are. We live in America, okay? We are pansies compared to global Christianity for the most part. But we don't have to stay that way. We can read some of these places. Look at the testimony of faith and courage of some of these men and women who are believers in these places and voice of the martyrs. Go to their website. Just read it. Just see if there are things, if God doesn't speak to you through that. 
Some of us could, could benefit and grow and courage just by leaving our comfort zone. I mean, intentionally going someplace, doing something that is not my preference. That would stretch us. Some of the guys go to Mexico on an annual basis. And part, of the, part of that is about just saying, you know, I have, it recalibrates our thinking about the world and about what matters and what's really right. And the temporary nature of death was one of the foundational beliefs of the early church, one of the primary sources of their courage because they, know, they knew that the worst that could happen to them is that they would die. And guess what? We follow Jesus, who has already demonstrated victory over death. So, give me your best shot. That was the worldview of the early church. There was a second source of courage, though, that was revealed in the early church. It shows up in Acts chapter 4. It was a routine practice that was a part of their lives one that we would, would be wise to embrace. I'm going to highlight this real quickly. And that's Peter and John, two of Jesus' uh, apostles, the disciples. They were before, uh, they had just been before the Jewish ruling council. Uh, they had been jailed. They'd been threatened and finally released because of the public outcry. that just couldn't believe that they were being treated in the way they were. And, and so after all of that took place, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, these words, describes what takes place, and you can follow along on the screen. In Acts 4.23, the Bible says, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now I want you to listen carefully to their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. And they go on prayer and praying, saying, In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas. Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants. Notice what they start praying for. Boldness, great boldness in preaching your word. They're not praying for safety, protection, money to fall from heaven. They're not praying for the earth to open up and swallow Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas and all the, the culture. Great boldness, O oh God. That's what we're praying for in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the Bible says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with great boldness, God honored their prayer. The early believers routinely practiced prayer for boldness. It wasn't a routine prayer for safety, which in our safety first mentality culture, how many of your prayers go directly to the subject of safety before you and I pray for power, boldness, courage, 
transformation, change lives, the advancement of God's will on earth, not my personal safety. The early church prayed for boldness and courage. We need to follow in their footsteps because courage is desperately needed in our day. I mean, it is, I don't know if you watch this, the world in which you, if you're a student of what's going on around you much, but courage is desperately needed. It's needed in our churches to teach the truth of Scripture regardless of pushback, regardless of unbelief in our day. Courage is needed in business nowadays to pursue, pro- to pursue profit in virtuous, integrity-filled ways and not selfish, short-term ways. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage in, in politics, to be in politics and to do what's right in the eyes of God rather than what's popular with the media or special interests. Courage is needed in parenting nowadays where mothers and fathers first and our kids' best friends and buddies way down the list from that. Our world is filled with parents who want to be their kids' best friend and not teach their children what's right, what's wrong, and the consequences of what's right and what's wrong. Courage is needed in our day in the area of generosity. You realize that we are the wealthiest group of people in the entire history of the world and yet 2.6% of our income generally goes to any kind of nonprofit charitable use. And that's churches, other charitable organizations, etc., etc. We're stingy, not generous. Courage is needed in sharing our faith. Courage to initiate spiritual conversations when the other person may not want to go there. Need the courage to build a friendship with someone who authentically needs Jesus, even though they may not know that they need Jesus or care that they know Jesus or really want to be friends with you. It takes courage to, you, you have this sense in your spirit that God wants me to reach out to this person and will you push through the obstacles, the barriers to do that? Courage is needed in our day in the area of purity. To honestly call sin what it is in my own life. And to seek God and others for help to overcome. I always think of James 5.16, which says, We'll confess our sins one to another and pray for each other. It says we'll be healed. There's something about being calling sin what it is and confessing it to another believer and letting them pray for us. There's something that breaks the chains of addictions and habits, and sin. But without courage, we'll never go there. So much more could be said, but the bottom line is this. Where is courage needed in your life right now, today? And I don't know, but you and the Holy Spirit do. And I ask you, will you die to self? Will you pray for boldness? 
And when God leads you where that is, will you step out in faith? As I said earlier, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what God says, even though I am afraid. It's doing the right thing. Whether anybody else does it, whether anybody else goes along with me, whether there's anybody in the sideline applauding and going, way to go, way to go. I mean, we are a generation of stickers and stars from our youngest days when we're getting potty trained. And we want stickers and stars and applause when we're adults. And basically God is saying, now will you, will you live for my applause only? Because if you do, you and I will grow in courage in spite of ourselves we'll grow in courage. And we'll be different people, better people. The world will be a better, different place. The kingdom of God will advance. Can you just imagine how the gospel of Jesus Christ would advance in the next decade if just those of us here fearlessly gave ourselves to advancing that gospel to everybody we come in contact with day in and day out. If that just moved up the priority schedule of our attention span and we just did it with courage and boldness like the early believers did it. You realize that the the ancient world was transformed by 120 people, if you read the book of Acts, empowered by the Holy Spirit with courage. We have more than 120 people sitting here and listening in. Let's do our part, okay? Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. If you need prayer for something in your life, I invite you afterwards. Come on down. We'd be happy. Some of us would be happy to pray with you about whatever. Don't feel embarrassed about that. Prayer is, ought to be able to pray in church, right? We all got stuff going on in our lives. Maybe you just need opportunity to practice courage. You need prayer. Just come on down, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person here within the sound of my voice. I praise you for the fact that you care about everyone, whether they're babies with us today that we're dedicating or mature adults that are part of our fellowship here who aren't all that far from coming to be with you face-to-face. The whole spectrum you care, you're reaching out. You've called us to live courageous and bold lives. And right now, we just want to invite you to fill us with courage and boldness that the good news of who Jesus is and the life that he's called us to would go forth from our lives individually wherever you take us this week. Help us to be lights in dark places, to be encouragers to those who are discouraged, to to shamelessly spread hope where fear seems to reign. And by the power of your spirit and your glorious presence, may the world become a different place. Thank you that you care. May your blessing rest on us as we endeavor to honor you in this way. We lift this prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.